We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what is going on everybody welcome back to the pack a day podcast i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl you can follow the podcast at pack a day podcast we are coming off an incredibly exhilarating walkthrough on Sunday at the Don Hudson Center. And I'm just being facetious because it was not the most exhilarating practice of all time. It was a walkthrough. There were very few takeaways and not a ton. Uh, you're not going to get any like highlight plays, right? These, they're, they're literally players going through walkthroughs, jogging at best. There was a play, I will say right off the front, where Aaron Rodgers just absolutely throws a ball to the moon and it comes down and Juwan Winfrey tracked it and had a fingertip catch, even going like uh, quarter speed or whatever. The ball was ridiculous and Juwan Winfrey somehow coming down with it was pretty impressive too. So that's your one highlight sort of play for the, the day. And it's against, you know, defense that's not really trying and just again, going through at a snail's pace. But there's not going to be any highlights here, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't actually a decent amount of takeaways from practice. So we are going to go over all of those and get you the information that is noteworthy from a Sunday practice that for the most part wasn't that noteworthy. But let's start with the move indoors because I think it was in, uh, assumed, first of all, when it was going indoors, when the Packers announced it on Sunday, that this was weather related. And clearly it could have been. The weather in Green Bay was crappy on Sunday. It was raining. It was pouring at times. And and we've heard them say in the past that they, you know, want to keep the the field in a good condition. And if it's raining and you know things start getting torn up a little bit, it doesn't exactly achieve that. So I think they probably would have moved in the Don Hudson Center anyway. However, Matt Lafleur made mention of the fact that. This was actually something that they had decided on Saturday, and they wanted to go through more of a walkthrough, more of a, a snail's pace sort of practice, more of a mental day, if you will. And that's due more to, or specifically in regards to uh, them coming down from Friday night, you know, Green Bay Packers family night, and uh, having a little bit more of an intense practice. You could tell that there was a little bit of wear and tear, that players were still tired. And there's a lot of things that we've learned about Matt LaFleur over the years. And uh, I think one of the biggest, quite frankly, is that he has shown a very big willingness to take care of his players and to be very cognizant of where they are at physically and when they need additional rest. And um, I think there's, there's no perfect calculus to any of this, right? 
You can make a strong argument that you need to push players and get them ready for the regular season. Listen, we saw a disastrous week one a season ago. On the flip side, you can also make an argument that I know I know last year and you've had some of the David Bakhtiari, you know, injuries linger and things like that. But I think over the course of his coaching career so far, Green Bay's actually done a pretty darn good job with, you know, getting players ready for the season and making sure that they don't go into the season with a ton of injuries. And, you know, when you have guys like Jenkins and, and Bakhtiari and, and the, all the guys on the pup list that are still recovering from a season to go, that's a little bit different, right? But what you want to really avoid is players going down in practice and getting some of those long-term injuries so that they're not ready for week one. And you got guys that are on IR or uh, can't play play um, just from practice and preseason games, right? So you want to avoid that as much as possible. Uh, but again, there's, there's no perfect science to it. The, you're, you're, there's a risk reward, right? On some level, you may not be getting some of the intensity and some of the reps that guys need. Um, on the flip side, you're saving players' bodies and making sure that you're as healthy as you can possibly be going into the season. But we have clearly seen that Matt LaFleur has put a big emphasis on keeping guys healthy and making sure that he has a pulse on the players and where they're at physically uh, going into practices, going into preseason, going into the regular season, and so on. So this was another example of that. He did make mention of, you know, now they have practices and they had this set up anyway, but now it seems like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday will be a little bit more intense after giving guys, you know, they head off on Saturday completely. And then Sunday uh, was more of a snail's pace, really small, uh, short practice on Sunday. Now they'll ramp up for three days, then have a walkthrough and head off to San Francisco for that first preseason game. But that was the reasoning as to why it was indoors on Sunday. The good news is that the Packers did in fact have some players that returned from injury. And that included Keyshawn Nixon for the first time, uh, Malik Taylor for the first time in training camp, Patrick Taylor returned, as did Randy Ramsey. And a couple things here, Keyshawn Nixon uh, looked like, he, it, again, walkthroughs here, right? So don't take too much from it, but they put him in the, the team right away, uh, the team drills, even though it's just a, a snail's pace walkthrough. Uh, but that was a good sign for him. Malik Taylor was in a red shirt, not because he's gonna transition to quarterback, but because they wanna make sure that that he's not having any level of contact. I would expect that would probably continue through this week. I would not, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't limit it, but it might be a little bit hard pressed for Malik Taylor to play in the preseason game, but we'll see You know how to how this uh, sort of progresses throughout the course of the week. Patrick Taylor was back. It sounded like he um, went in individual drills and uh, I, I didn't keep a close eye on it, but I did see him in portions of the team drills as well. So it seems like he had pretty much a full return. And then I think the bigger news here was with Randy Ramsey because we learned that he had another ankle injury, which is what he dealt with all last year and was out all last year. And then, you know, when you hear that there's another ankle injury and it, we learned that it was on the same foot, you're like, okay, did he re-aggravate something? Is this going to be something that is now another long-term injury? But the fact that he was back at practice on Sunday, I think, was a very good sign. And hopefully he can get back to 100% and practicing because Green Bay has a lot of questions at that edge rusher position. And, you know, if he can, he has every right to, to earn one of those spots, right? Especially if he's healthy. I think he's a little bit behind the eight ball with the time that he's missed and coming back from injury. But if he can get back and plays well in preseason, he has every right to one of those spots, especially with what he's able to do on special teams. So he will be a player worth monitoring in the preseason, but great to see him back at practice, even in walkthroughs on Sunday. Unfortunately, there were three new players that were also out of practice on Sunday. The good news is one of those was Randall Cobb, who was just resting and was not an injury issue, so just a veteran day off. The other two, Darnell Savage, as expected, who has a hamstring injury, and then Innes Gaines also was out with a hamstring injury. Now, 
Uh, more good news here is the fact that Matt LaFleur made mention that Darnell Savage and reiterated the fact that Darnell Savage is not a long-term concern. So that is great news for Green Bay. We'll see when he actually gets back practicing, if that's this week or you know a little bit further into the future. But the good news is that there's no long-term injury. Cobb is just veteran rest, and we'll have to keep you know kind of keep an eye on Ennis Gaines and see. You know, he really needs to get out there for every rep possible. Like I said, he's had a pretty good training camp so far, and I think he's a rosterable player. I think those safety spots are very much up for grabs. So the sooner he can get back, the better chances he will have of actually trying to push for a roster spot on the initial 53. The other really, well, maybe really good news for the day is a little bit aggressive, but at least some good news is the fact that Christian Watson and um, Mason Crosby were with the rehab group. Now, I've made mention of this in the past. There's no no, uh, exact science to this always either. But usually, more often than not, what happens is you are out and maybe not practicing at all. And then you sort of go into like, you're usually practicing like, or, or like off to the side, maybe working with a, a trainer a little bit, but usually they stay indoors at the Hudson Center, whereas everyone else in the rehab group goes outside and does some rehab group outside. Then once you like get upgraded, you go to the rehab group and then usually the the rehab group is sort of the last step before actually returning from injury. Uh, We've seen Keyshawn Nixon with the rehab group. We've seen Malik Taylor with the rehab group and they just return from injury. So the hope is that maybe some of these guys that are in the rehab group, that does include guys like Kylan Hill, that does include guys like Elton Jenkins, but now uh, includes Mason Crosby and Christian Watson both being included in that. Hopefully that means they're getting closer to a return to the practice field and being ready to go. Don't want to get anyone's hopes up too much. It's not a perfect science. David Bakhtiari was with the rehab group very early, uh, if memory serves, in training camp a season ago, and we see how that went. So uh, there's no perfect science here, but more often than not, the rehab group is sort of the precursor to returning from injury. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like two days away. It could still be you know, two months away, but there is usually a progression there. And the fact that they're going through some of the motions and actually getting work with the rehab group is a good sign nonetheless. So it was great to see Christian Watson and Mason Crosby join that rehab group from just basically not practicing or standing to the side uh, for the majority of practice. The full list of Packers that were not practicing uh, at all, and that includes the guys in the rehab group, was Randall Cobb, Ennis Gaines, Darnell Savage, David Bakhtiari, Osiris Mitchell, um, Christian Watson, Elton Jenkins, Kylan Hill, uh, Mason Crosby, Robert Tunyon, and then Cole Schneider. And speaking of Cole Schneider, he is still in a walking boot, so that's not a great sign. It seems like that is going to be something that is probably going to keep him out uh, for some period of time. So you hate to see that. uh, As I've talked about in the past, you hate, hate, hate seeing, uh, you hate seeing any injuries, right? But like, man, an undrafted guy is getting probably this one shot to go out and prove themselves in the league and give themselves a chance maybe at a practice squad or maybe even, you know, shining out and making a 53-man roster. And to have just that sort of injury at the worst possible time of your career is just gut-wrenching for those guys. So hopefully Cole Schneider can make it back uh, sooner rather than later and still give himself a shot maybe at a practice squad spot, but hate seeing him still in a walking boot on Sunday. Uh, Some depth chart notes, uh, Vernon Scott was still with the number ones uh, in replace of Darnell Savage. And that's at least somewhat noteworthy, right? Because in many camps and in OTAs, 
it, you know, it was Sean Davis with the the safeties as like the number three guy. He got the number three reps at safety. And then if somebody was out, Sean Davis would be the guy uh, that would go in and play those number one reps. So there does seem to be a bit of a change in the depth chart there at safety where Vernon Scott has moved up the list and it seems like Sean Davis has maybe moved down a little bit. Now, I'm saying this over and over today, but there's no perfect science here either. And what I mean by that is there are times where coaching staffs will maybe feel comfortable with what they have with a player. So for example, and I'm not saying that this is the case, maybe they don't know what they have yet in Vernon Scott, and maybe they already feel comfortable with what they have in Sean Davis. In that situation, they may elevate Vernon Scott to say like, hey, we got to get more reps. Like, let's see what he looks like with the ones. Let's see if he can make an impact in some splash plays, meaning that Vernon Scott's actually maybe the one more on the bubble than Sean Davis, because they might already feel comfortable. Like, well, Sean Davis is going to get a spot on our team. We don't need to see him play a ton with the ones. We need to see more of Vernon Scott. That could be the case. More likely than not, it's a you know legitimate depth chart change where Vernon Scott has probably jumped Sean Davis a little bit, but I think those safety spots are going to come really down to probably preseason and what the rest of training camp brings. I still think Dallin Levitt, even though he hasn't hasn't received almost any time, a little bit of time with the ones, but not a ton. And when they break off into two groups, Levitt's been down with the twos more often. I think he has a huge opportunity to make this team based on his special teams prowess. Also, Levitt in practice on Sunday was calling out stuff from the back end for a guy that just got picked up at the very, uh, right before the start of training camp, I should say. Uh, the fact that he's already super knowledgeable in the defense and calling things out and getting guys like set up in the right spots. Uh, look for Dallin Lovett to have a really good chance, uh, I think, to make this team, especially on special teams prowess. But uh, those rest of those special team spots, whether that's Vernon Scott, Ennis Gaines, Tariq Carpenter, uh, Sean Davis, I think those uh, conversations are probably going to come down to preseason. But good for Vernon Scott that he is getting those number one reps alongside uh, Adrian Amos right now. Certainly for a young player, that is still going to help and uh, hopefully give him some confidence. He's a talented guy. I still think he potentially could fit more as like a, a box safety, sort of what like Raven Green did in the past. I still think that might be the best use of him, but we'll see if he can sort of hang at safety and maybe play uh, a part with this defense this upcoming season. Other uh, depth chart notes on the field goal block team, we had Rico Gafford and Shamar Jean Charles as the two on the edge that are rushing off the edge trying to block field goals. It was walkthrough, so they're not exactly doing it, but I do love the idea, and I've talked about this in the past, of Rico Gafford being one of those guys off the edge. And the more you can do, the more opportunity uh, that you have to help the team, the better chance you have to make the roster. I think that number six corner spot is completely up for grabs. I think Keandre Thomas maybe could get in that conversation. Rico Gafford, maybe a Kabianento. I think those are probably the guys that could also claim somebody at the end. Remember last year, um, you know, they make the trade for Isaac Yadam and he comes in. So you never quite know. Uh, but I do think five of those spots are probably taking your three starters who you know already. And then I think Keyshawn Nixon and Shamarjean Charles are probably the, the five that seem to be a little bit more leaning in the, the locks direction. We'll see. I mean, Shamar and Keyshawn, I don't think are there yet, but they're definitely trending in the right direction. Uh, that number six corner spot, I think definitely up for grabs, but uh, I think the more that you can do, the better. And I love the idea of Rico Gafford coming off the edge. Legit like 4-240 speed. He is like... He is legit fast, fast. There are fast players and then there are freaking fast players. Rico Gafford is a freaking fast guy. And uh, I think his ability, listen, if anyone could potentially block a kick coming off the edge, get a fingertip on it, disrupt it, or maybe just, you know, 
have the the kicker be a little bit more pressured, I, I think it can be Rico Gafford with his ridiculous speed coming off the edge. So I like that. Uh, I don't know if it was a change. It's possible he'd been there in the past and I just didn't notice it. But uh, I like that move for Green Bay going with Rico Gafford as one of the, the field goal block rush guys coming off the edge. Another depth chart uh, note, we actually got to see some Jair Alexander in the slot uh, for a couple of reps in some of the walkthrough team drills. And I've mentioned this all along. If you've uh, heard me talk at all about how I think this slot is going to play out this season, I wholeheartedly believe that Razul Douglas will be the primary slot corner and play that on early downs and and, and just kind of in, in general, right? I think that's going to be his spot with Jair and then Eric Stokes on the outside. But and the reason that that is, is Jair is probably their best slot corner. And I think Razul is probably a better outside corner than he is a slot corner. But Douglas is much bigger. And I just don't think that you want, we've talked about this, right? But the, uh, that slot corner is going to have to come in and fill in the run game. He's going to have to lean into things with his shoulders. And like, you're just, you're going to have to be a lot, a very physical player. Think Charles Woodson, what he did in the slot, even Shannon Sullivan, who, you know, for his uh, you know, coverage inabilities at times, you know, he was pretty darn good against the runner, at least uh, was physical enough to come in and set the edge when he needed to. He could blitz like he could do those things because he had the size to do it with Jair. I just don't think when you sign a guy to the highest paid, you know, corner contract of all times, and he's a smaller guy that you want him ramming into tight ends and fullbacks. Like that's not a great use of Jair Alexander in his body full time, right? Can you do it on a couple occasions here and there? Sure, but that's not his best skill set, and that's certainly not what you want to, you know, put your, you know, million, you know, millions upon millions of dollars cornerback uh, doing time after time after time. You're just going to probably limit his career at some point, right? So that's not what you want him doing, but. When it comes to obvious passing downs, I do think we will see Jair more in the slot from time to time. And I do think when you get matchups like, say, against Justin Jefferson in week one, and Jefferson keeps lining up in the slot, I think if, if that's the case, I think you're going to want to move Jair Alexander up against him in the slot, especially in some of those obvious passing situations. So clearly, I believe wholeheartedly that we will see Jair Alexander in the slot this season. I just don't think it's going to be as a primary 50-60 snap, a guy where he's lining up there and doing all the dirty work that it takes from a slot corner to do that sort of stuff. So, uh, but we did get some uh, look at that even in walkthrough. So it does show that Green Bay at least has some interest in, in playing him there this upcoming season. And I would be shocked if we didn't see Jair in the slot in some capacity. Just don't think it makes sense to do it, you know, a ton and, and sort of wear down one of your best, most highest paid players. Punt returners uh, with no Randall Cobb. The three remaining punt returners for the day were Romeo Dobbs, Amari Rogers, and Ishmael Hyman. So those were your three catching punts with Dobbs and Rogers getting the majority of the work. The other note from practice, and I don't know what to make of this yet, and probably nothing until we actually see it in games. And I've mentioned this a little bit in the past as well, but man, the special teams coaching has been so incredible to watch. They are so pointed in exactly what they're doing. There is a purpose to everything they're doing. The way they're even aligning their coaches. They got a coach on one side with the jammer and the gunner, a coach on the other side with the jammer and the gunner. They got Bisacci in the center. They got another special teams uh, or another coach that's in the backfield. Like They've got eyes on everything. There is a purpose to everything. They are so attention to detail oriented. It has been a totally different special teams practice this season. And I know, you know, I think there's been a lot of buzz out there about maybe some of the intensity and how, you know, what Rich Passaccia, you know, brings to the table and those sort of things. But 
I just really wanted to point out like the the attention to detail and all of the coaching that's going into this. It is a night and day difference from special teams in the past. How that affects the on-field play remains to be seen. I think there's major question marks. When can Mason Crosby get back? You know, I think Pat O'Donnell still has question marks to answer based on his performance as a punter in his career so far. I don't know that they have a long snapper that's worth keeping on the roster. Uh, There's a lot that is going to go into the special teams yet, but man, oh man, if the intensity is there, the attention to detail and the focus is there, and it has been a a real joy to watch these special teams coaches and coordinators uh, in in Rich Bisaccia's case work day in and day out and try to take this beleaguered unit that was arguably one of the worst of all times a season ago and try to make them into something that can be respectable out on the field. I don't know if it's going to work, but if it doesn't, it won't be for lack of trying and and lack of coaching and attention to detail and those sort of things. Like I said, it has been impressive to watch. Those guys know what they're doing. And you have to think, famous last words on my end, but you have to think that it's going to translate over into the special teams. And I've talked about this a hundred times before. This isn't something that you need to go and all of a sudden be a top 15 special teams unit. If they can do that, hallelujah. But if they can even get into like the 24th, 25th best special teams, that sounds still bad because it is. But going from one of the worst special teams of all time, one that literally loses you a playoff game to the 24th or 25th best special teams, that is a massive upgrade that you will live with this season while they hopefully continue to churn out players and make this a unit that can hopefully be a top 15, top 10 unit as time goes on under Rich Basaccia. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only other thing I wanted to go over today, and if you're if you're listening to me on any sort of daily basis, a lot of these names are not going to surprise you. Some of them I just went over in the you know rookie report edition over on the YouTube video uh, yesterday. But I wanted to go over a few of the under the radar players that have sort of caught my eye during training camp, and this is something I really enjoy doing every year. Players in the past that have caught my eye that have gone on to make the team, like undrafted guys, have been Tim Boyle, obviously. 
there's been Raven Green. There's been Alex Light. Um, there's others too. Robert Tunyon. He wasn't an undrafted guy, but he was a guy that got brought in from his very, well, like one of his very first practices was a guy I was sort of raving about. Uh, there's been multiple of these guys that, you know, maybe didn't go on to have like super, like Tunyon's probably the best version of this, but maybe haven't gone on to have like super long careers, but they did make the team out of training camp or even like in Boyle's case, three years in Green Bay and then is still uh, with the Lions today. Like these have been players that have, have made it through the initial cuts and actually made, uh, even if it's been minimal, you know, some impact on the Packers. Some of the guys that have caught my eye this year so far as sort of under the radar guys, I'll go over one that was drafted first. That's Jonathan Ford. I've talked about him at length already uh, in a couple different episodes, but uh, I do think that they potentially found somebody here. I'm not saying he's going to be a star. I'm not saying he's even going to be a regular, and he's still on the roster bubble just because six defensive linemen is tough to keep, but... I do think that they found something here in a rotational defensive lineman who can give them snaps and actually help them in the course of a game if that ever came to fruition. So he has a long way to go as a player. He is not there yet, but he is a rare dude with big size who can get into the backfield. I've been impressed for a seventh round pick what he's capable of. A long way to go on his progression, but there's enough there for me to be like, okay, I, I think they're going to keep him as the sixth defensive lineman. And I do think there is some upside with a player like Jonathan Ford. So he's the one driving drafted guy in this list. The rest are just sort of like journeymen or undrafted guys. I'll start with Danny Davis, undrafted rookie wide receiver. I talked about him on the rookie report yesterday. He just does like all the little things, right? So really good in and out of his routes, strong hands. He seems to consistently be in the right place at the right time, is always coming up with plays uh, in in the number two and number three drills. He's winning his routes in one-on-ones. It's just all that sort of stuff. And the the reason why, you know, I I think we're probably not talking about him as they may be like even in the conversation as a 53 guy, it's just there's limited upside with his athletic ability, right? But at some point, you can just be a good wide receiver and find ways to get open and have good hands and catch everything thrown your way. And, and that's that's the name of the job, right? Like, so Danny Davis is impressive. I've already said lock it in for a, un, you know, for a uh, practice squad spot for him. I uh, really liked what I've seen from him so far in his in the first 10 practices with the Packers. Another, and I've talked about this player quite a bit as well, is Sal Canella. This is a player who I need to see more of from a blocking standpoint. I can't say good, bad, ugly, and different because I haven't seen him block too much, but I have seen him run routes specifically in one-on-ones and his route running is very precise and he knows how to uncover and get open. And that is a, a very valuable trait as a tight end. He's got good like height size. He's got a good wingspan. Um, and if you can get open in this league, that's like 90% of the battle, right? But at tight end, especially in this offense, you have to be able to block. I'm going to be keeping an eye on that in preseason to see how he hangs up, you know, holds up in that regards. But he's been a player that has definitely caught my eye as well. Another, Ishmael Hyman. When when they signed Ishmael Hyman, I like you just look at like the the upside for an Ishmael Hyman. He's I think he's like 26 or 27 already. Correct me if I'm wrong in the comments below. Maybe he's 25, but like he's he's already a little bit older. Like you look at his CFL stats. And like, if you're not tearing up the CFL, what are the odds that you're going to come in and actually be good in the NFL, right? So you look at that sign, you're like, man, he's not young. He's he's had a cup of coffee already. He didn't tear up the CFL. He's not super big. He's not super strong. He's not super athletic. Like, what are what are we doing? Why? Like, at some point, you just got to get guys to fill the roster. I get that, but like, that's the highest like the best player that you can get at the last moment. But man, I'll tell you what, 
This guy catches everything that comes his way. He comes up with like four catches, four or five catches, like seemingly every practice. He's with the punt return group. He's come up on special teams in a couple different ways. Like, I don't think there's clearly no chance that he has of making the 53-man roster, but if you told me he made the practice squad, it wouldn't totally shock me. I think his upside is still severely limited, but he has had a very nice training camp and has made the most of every single one of his opportunities. He's been a fun player to watch. Caleb Jones, I talked about a bit yesterday as well, but mammoth, mammoth human being that if he gets his hands on you, you are not going anywhere. Uh, some of the you know limitations from a foot speed standpoint uh, probably limit his upside long-term. But I, as far as like undrafted offensive linemen, like, there is far worse that you can do than Caleb Jones. I've been impressed with his overall movement ability and his, just his strength and his physicality at the point of attack is evident. That is a 6'9", 370-pound guy that if you're an edge rusher, especially in today's day and age where like these are you know more like 250 pound guys like you're you're in a heavyweight fight with Caleb Jones when you get to that point uh, he's been a player that has uh, been fun to watch as well the two running backs Tyler Goodson and BJ Baylor I've talked about quite a bit in the past but these two uh, have a little bit of um you know, two, two diverging games, right? So like Tyler Goodson is going to be your speed guy, one cut, get uphill, great hands out of the backfield. BJ Baylor going to be a little bit more of a guy who runs behind his pads, great in pass protection. And I uh, can also catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield, two different types of backs, but both have their values. Both have their intrigue. We'll see what Patrick Taylor can do coming back from injury. And if they want to keep the third running back, or if they want to maybe just elevate guys from the practice squad to be the number three, um, either way, I think both of those guys are in the conversation for that number three running back spot. I talked about Jonathan Ford, but the other defensive lineman who should also be very much in the conversation for a practice squad spot at worst is Jack Heflin. I think he's still very much in the conversation with Jonathan Ford if they keep six defensive linemen. I wouldn't write Jack Heflin off right, you know, just yet. He seems to be in a little bit a little bit quicker, I'll say. This is not a guy that's going to move fast in general. Uh, he is there as a guy that you're not going to move in the run game. Very limited upside as a pass rusher, but he seems to be a little bit quicker and he's holding up well at the point of attack in the run game as well. This is a Tyler Lancaster type of player who, you know, you might hear that name and be like, ah, I don't, like, I'm not interested or whatever. Like, if you can get a guy that can play 10 to 15 snaps per game of good run defense, and Lancaster wasn't that at times, and I understand the angst there, but if you can get a guy that is 10 to 15 snaps per game of just really solid, sound run defense that can keep some of your other guys fresh, can keep your linebackers clean, there is value in a number six defensive lineman that has real rotational value as a run stopper in goal line situations, on obvious rundowns, you know, fourth and third and ones, like those sort of situations, or just even like on a first and 10 where you have a feeling that they're at least there's a decent chance they're going to run on the play. Like those are good situations to get a snap or two for Jack Heflin, rest your other guys and know that he's going to hold up at the point of attack in the run game. If he can provide that, there's value there. And I think Heflin has some of that value as well. So under the radar performers that I've been impressed by so far that you can kind of keep an eye on as you're starting to watch the third and fourth quarters of these preseason games and be like, what the heck should I even be watching at this point? Jordan loves out of the game. Like, what should I be doing? Danny Davis, Sal Canella, Ishmael Hyman, Caleb Jones, Tyler Goodson, BJ Baylor, Jack Heflin, Jonathan Ford, all names to keep an eye on as sort of back of the roster players that I've just enjoyed watching play 
Don't know what it's going to amount to, whether that's practice squad. Maybe uh, I think Jonathan Ford makes the team or at least is a good chance at it. But um, who knows what it means long term. But those are the guys that I think have had under the radar, really nice starts to training camp. That is going to do it for me today. Always appreciate you joining me. I will be right back here tomorrow on the YouTube video. Um, I believe Jacob, Ross, and Jake will be back on the audio version. So make sure to check that out as well. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.